I'm excited today to welcome a colleague of mine. We've been talking together for years, and Dr. Lee Bauckham has just written another book. And he's written so many that we'll talk about that. But I'm excited to have you here today, Lee, because we're going to celebrate your new book, but also because we have a really important conversation to have about saving our marriages and what we can do when we're really faced with relentlessly difficult people. So let me tell folks a little bit about you. I'm going to read your, your bio here. Dr. Lee Bauckham is the creator of the Internet Marriage Program, Save the Marriage. Dr. Bauckham has over a quarter of a century, 25 years plus, of experience helping couples and individuals learn to thrive. Dr. Bauckham is trained as a therapist and life coach, and in addition to therapy and coaching, he's provided consultation for organizations and businesses. He's a popular speaker on a number of topics relating to relationships and thriving, and he has been married for 28 years and enjoying all the things that he writes about. So, you know, he's tried them at home and they work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm happy to have you here again, Lee. Roberta, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, you've got so much on your website. And for those of you who want to go, um, just go to um, savethemarriage.com and you can see so much of what you have and so many interviews. Um, and so they're there for you too. So you know that I want to talk about the more difficult side of saving the marriage because sometimes we don't recognize the power that we have to save our marriages. And sometimes we have to recognize that we don't have the power. So I want to start by saying, you know, you've helped so many people. I've read the testimonials on your website, and I know that that's true. So what, what would you say is the most important piece of advice that you can give anyone if they really believe that they want to save their marriage? What's the most important thing? Uh, let me, can I put two in? Sure. <laughs> okay. Let's start with a broad approach that uh, one, one of the things that a lot of couples miss is how important the connection is, that that's the lifeblood of the relationship. And uh, unfortunately, connection is under assault on a daily basis. And, and so uh, a lot of couples get into what I call the pause button marriage. You know, they, they thought they hit pause because of kids, career, training, whatever. And they figured they would come back to it at some point. And then when they come back and they hit the pause button to unpause it, they realize that the disconnection has happened right. and they, they weren't focused on the connection. So the number one ingredient of a successful marriage is connection. Now you and I will talk some about unhealthy connection along the way, I'm sure. And what that means with uh, some of the other pieces of that puzzle, but that's, that's a big piece. The second piece is um, about responsibility and that's, that's a very loaded term. Um, so let's unpack it a little bit. When I talk about responsibility, it's the ability to respond. Uh, a lot of people think when I say responsibility, they're saying, you know, it's that blame. It's from that childhood experience of the parent coming in and saying, okay, who's responsible for this, which is really a code of saying, who's going to get in trouble for this. Right. Uh, and when I'm talking about responsibility, it's being able to say, I can change the, the direction of this uh, myself. I can choose a different direction. And so when, when there is a problem in the relationship, it's usually based in that disconnection. It, the connection has been so strained that now the, the couple doesn't feel the connection enough. And when both people are feeling that, 
neither one feel necessarily like jumping in and working to save it. And that brings in that second piece of somebody saying, you know, I'm going to be the responsible one here. I'm going to choose a different direction. So a good image of that responsibility is if you're in a house that's on fire, it's not the time to say who, who set this on fire. It's not the time to say, <laughs> how did this happen? It's the time to say, I'm going to take responsibility of getting myself out and anybody else I can and any valuables I can. That's, that's the difference between the two. Well, that's a great metaphor for it. And, you know, what you were saying about losing the connection or pressing the pause button in our relationship, thinking that it'll all be there to pick up and go on after our excessive responsibilities of child raising and career building are over. I often say to people when they tell me that they're, they have the empty nest syndrome, I often say, no, it's the dinner table symptom. You have forgotten who the person at the other end of the dinner table was because you've been focused on all the people in between. <laughs> yeah, there's a buffer that happens with kids. Right. And, and the buffer is, uh, for some people, it helps them reduce the conflict and the anxiety of being in that connection. The problem is when you take away the buffer, suddenly <laughs> um, that's you're, you're left staring at each other across the dinner table or on the couch or wherever that happens. And you realize that the buffer zone no longer being there is for some terrifying, but there's also the emptiness that mm -hmm. sometimes we've gotten those connection needs met through our kids rather than uh, through our spouse at that point. We, we have become parents, not not a couple anymore. And maybe it wasn't the connection itself. It was the illusion of connection because they were often triangulating through the children. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is, there is, uh, so I also talk about the fact that we have, we all have two basic fears in relationships. One is of intimacy and the other is of abandonment. And our kids create the buffer of that. You know, when the kids are there, abandonment's not, quite so acute because you're spreading out that connection and the intimacy is not so pointed. The fear of intimacy can kind of be buffered because you've got some other people to spread it. And then when suddenly they're gone, um, then you have both of them suddenly pouring in. And the problem is couples do a dance between intimacy and abandonment fears uh, that end up terrorizing each other even further. <laughs> so one person's abandonment stuff triggers more of a fear of intimacy and vice versa. Yes, and, and many of us don't actually take the time to recognize that we have fears of intimacy or abandonment. We don't even want to admit that to ourselves because that would take some work and that would take some introspection. And one of the gifts that we can always give to our relationship is to do the work on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, that's that responsibility piece. Yeah, exactly. And, and if I don't know who I am, then I don't know who I am as a responder to the relationship. And therefore, I can't explain that to my partner. And yes. when I can't explain that to my partner because I can't explain it to myself, then we're, we're going to have a communication issue. And I know that I watched one of your YouTube videos and you said you were the breakup stopper. <laughs> so I had this image of a doorstop. So what did, what did you mean when you say the breakup stopper? A lot of times breakups are um, more about inertia or momentum, one or the other in that direction, you know, inertia, meaning they're not moving anywhere. They're just kind of there. And so eventually somebody is in so much pain that they take action. Sometimes it's just the momentum that nobody's changing course. They're, they're headed towards that, that end result. And 
Uh, so part of what often happens for people coming to me is they've had a spouse who said, you know, I love you. I'm not in love. Or they've said, I found somebody else. Or they've said, this just isn't working for me. I'm miserable. I mean, there are lots of ways that they come into our, our frame. And so what we're trying to do is stop the unnecessary uh, breakups. And, and as I've said very clearly, we're not here to save 100% of the relationships. There are some relationships that can't be saved, and then there's some that should not be saved. But we're looking for the ones that are abandoned too quickly, where the person just doesn't see an alternative. And, and so part of what often happens in, in a relationship is that nobody sees another possibility. Uh, it might be because they grew up in a household where there was no other possibility. You either lived miserably or you got a divorce. Those were the only two options. And, and bringing in another option, the third option of working on things and restoring them often brings a slowdown to the momentum or pushes them off of their inertia into something better. Yeah, I, I think that that's a really good description, Lee, because we do tend to be kind of black and white about it. Either we're really together or we're really apart. But there is a whole lot of intervening variables in the middle there. And mm -hmm. sometimes we're in a lot of conflict. And I know that com you've said that conflict erodes connection. I've said it too. Um, but what happens if the conflict seems constant? The, so conflict creates disconnection, but it's also a symptom of disconnection. What I've noticed is that the more disconnected a couple, the more the little things irritate. <laughs> and so whatever might be manageable at another time uh, ends up being overwhelming because the connection can't hold it. Uh, and once that connection has eroded, everything feels like a conflict. Conversely, if a couple begins to connect, the conflict naturally begins to lower because they have a, a stronger sense of being in this together and on each other's side. And so you have that back and forth as possible. Um, interesting thing for me in conflict as I've come to think about it more and more is conflict really is a race to be the bigger victim. <laughs> you have oh, to be wow, playing that. I love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> say, say that again. Uh, conflict is a race to, to see who's the bigger victim. You know, I'm comparing my victimhood to your victimhood. Um, if I'm not a victim, I'm not in conflict. And so there's always that basis. I used to say that the arguments were two different people with two different opinions trying to convince the other of it. And the more I've reflected, the more I realize that's, that's still true but it's a race to the bottom of the victim pool that, that really uh, fuels that, that conflict. I bet a lot of people listening can really relate to that. They don't want to, but they got yeah. it right away yeah. when you said that because it's sort of like whose truth is more true competition. Mm -hmm. Like I'm worse off or you love me less or I've been more poorly poorly done by and and we get into that that victim pool as you say and the race to the bottom yeah. yeah it's important to notice if we're caught in that because there certainly is something we can do about that you know as bob newhart says just stop that All right right <laughs> and and you have the ability to do that i mean if you're listening and you're thinking okay well i want my partner to go first uh think about it. You could stop that. You could mm -hmm. be the one who has the power to stop that. And that would be a really good idea because that will help you feel powerful that you can make that contribution and you'll be empowered to do that. Um, 
we're going to talk in the in the second half of this conversation about the downside of some relationships or better not staying together. But if you could say just something about how you build emotional intimacy in the face of the conflict, that would be a good segue into the second part. Yeah, I think there are three ways we connect. Uh, we can connect physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And a lot of times the conflict is happening in that emotional zone where you're, you're playing tug of war in the emotion. So you're not listening to each other and not uh, giving any uh, credence to, to the other person's opinion. And, and so the, a step would be to recognize that part of your task is to move towards your spouse emotionally. That, that would be a piece of that emotional connection. The second, physically, you know, something happens when humans touch and that capacity of, um, even if it's just a hand on the back of how that changes us uh, biochemically, that's an important way we bond. And then spiritually to be talking about what are the bigger topics? What are the big issues at hand? So we can talk okay. more about that. Yeah, we sure will. So I hear the alarm. <laughs> li listen to part two and, uh, and catch up with these issues. Talk soon. Okay, I don't know what happened to this. I'm going to have... <laughs> It won't stop. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's still going. All right. It went away. All right. Let's set it for the second half now. We got so much to talk about. Look how fast the time goes. It's crazy. 